0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Standing Strong in Trying Times, a study of the Book of Daniel. The Book of Daniel gives stories of faithful believers standing strong in trying times of exile and visions of the ultimate victory of God's kingdom over the kingdoms of this world. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. So we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 5 this morning, and it's rather lengthy, but I'm going to go ahead and read the entire passage to us because I I want to remind you, and I do things a little differently than uh, is is oftentimes taught. We begin by reading God's Word before I give the introduction. And the method behind my madness is very, very simple. What I'm about to read to you is the very Word of God. I'm going to do my dead-level best, as I've studied all week long, to explain that word to you, I encourage you to receive that and to check it out. But if there is no other time that the God of the universe will speak this morning, it is as I read his holy word to you. So hear the word of God. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that they had taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver Of bronze iron wood and stone suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace the king watched the hand as it wrote his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way the king called out for the enchanters astrologers and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon whoever reads this writing And tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom Then all the king's wise men came in but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant so King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale his nobles were baffled the Queen Hearing the voices of the king and his nobles came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he uh, was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel? one of the exiles my father brought, the king brought from Judah? I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now, I've heard that you're able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, You'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty, and greatness, and glory, and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. And those he wanted to spare, he spared. And those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he sets over them anyone he wishes. But you his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. And this is what these words mean. Mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Takel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom and that very night Belshazzar king of the Babylonians was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62 may God bless the reading of his holy word it's quite a chapter and in this chapter you, you may recognize a couple of idioms that we have. We all hear of the writing on the wall or the handwriting on the wall. We all hear the phrase, someone's days are numbered. And actually, both of those idioms in English go back to this chapter. This is where they're drawn from. We didn't get them somewhere else. They trace back here. We don't have any other uh, record of, of these phrases being used in history. And both refer to the idea, when we say the writing is on the wall, that's not good writing, that's impending doom. And when we say someone's days are numbered, that's not numbered until something good happens. That means disaster is about to fall. But as I thought about that this week, I was looking it up and I thought, but I wonder how many people use those phrases and have no idea they come from the book of Daniel. They come from Daniel chapter five. And as I was Googling that, I actually discovered that the heavy metal group Iron Maiden in July just just a month ago, put out a note to everyone on the internet and said, you're invited to King Belshazzar's feast on this day. And then the next day, they released a song called The Writing on the Wall, which told me two things. Number one, they did know where that phrase came from. And number two, apparently Iron Maid is listening to our series on Daniel, and they thought they would write a song. <laughs> So, to uh, Nico McBrain and to Steve Harris and to Bruce Davidson and the rest of the guys, I appreciate that you are going along and and letting people know to listen to the teaching. Um, That's my story and I'm sticking to it. So, apparently they were aware of this. So, what's going on in this chapter? What is God speaking to us today? Well... We note right first off, I need to give a little bit of historical background, because if you've been following along in the book of Daniel, you might be shocked that verse one starts, King Belshazzar, because the obvious question is, King who? It's been Nebuchadnezzar the entire time. Who is this King Belshazzar? And we're not really told in the book of Daniel, but from external sources, we know the following things. Nebuchadnezzar had died in the year 562 after a very long reign remember he was actually the general who had uh, gone and exported Daniel and the other exiles and brought them to Babylon and he became the king as he was doing that because his father had died and that was all the way back around 605 so he had ruled for over four decades Um, very long and successful reigns and then there were three kings with very short reigns in fact between 562 and 556 there were three kings and then in 556 a fourth king named Nabonidus came to the throne Nabonidus was actually the father of belshazzar and it appears that belshazzar had actually had the former king assassinated so that his father would become the king and belshazzar is the vice regent now the reason he's probably called the king here is Uh, And I'll go more into this in After Hours if you tune in on Tuesday. I'm going to spend a, a bit of time on this because we didn't know this for a long time. People were like, there was no guy named Belshazzar. What we discovered was Nabonidus spent almost his entire reign in exile. He didn't stay in Babylon. He was pretty unpopular. And he was off somewhere else. And Belshazzar actually reigned most of the time that Nabonidus was the king. But at the time that we're given here, because again, Daniel doesn't tell us anything until the very last verse when we find out that Belshazzar is killed, we know the time frame of what's going on. And less than two weeks prior to the night of this feast, the Persian army had crushed the Babylonian army at the city of Opus, just 50 miles north of Babylon. And then they had marched down towards Babylon. And we actually even know the date. This is October the 12th, 539 B.C. Babylon is surrounded, and Belshazzar is getting ready to throw a feast. So we've jumped forward to a very critical event. Daniel just left us. You remember with Nebuchadnezzar being humbled, and Nebuchadnezzar's prayer and his decree out to everyone is, the living God exalts those whom he wants to exalt, and he is able to humble anyone who is arrogant. And now we've jumped forward many years and we're going to see this is the critical juncture because this is the end of the Babylonian Empire. The proud are about to be humbled. Daniel is probably about 80 years old and this is the beginning of the Medo-Persian Empire, which is going to dominate for a couple hundred years and is actually much larger than the Babylonian Empire. In our terms, remembering the The vision that Nebuchadnezzar had, the dream he had back in Daniel chapter 2, the head of gold is coming to an end, and the chest and arms of silver are now coming onto the scene. This is the very night that that happens. And what we find is Belshazzar is giving a banquet. Like the Iron Maiden thing, he's sent out and he's invited everyone. He's invited a thousand of his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. And they're all there, and it's a little unusual because normally the queens and the concubines would not be in the room with the king and the nobles. It would be a little bit separate, and the king would actually be in a separate room, but it appears they're all together. Now the question is, for a long time again, historians looked and said, if this is supposedly the night Babylon's going to be conquered, why would you be having a feast? And it's possible that this is the last hurrah hey, we might as well have a party tonight because tomorrow we're going to die. That is possible. But I don't really think that's what's going on with Belshazzar. I think he still feels secure inside Babylon. And the reason for this is if you remember, ancient cities oftentimes withstood long sieges. Nebuchadnezzar had sieged the city of Tyre for years and years, and Tyre withstood it, kind of thumbed their nose at him, and, and Nebuchadnezzar eventually had to give in. He could not conquer the city. And Babylon thought they could withstand anything. You remember I talked a few weeks ago, they had the largest walls in the world, large enough that two chariots could ride side by side, that a chariot could actually turn around with its whole team of horses. That's how thick the walls were. They ran around the entire city. Um, They were given, uh, Herodotus and Xenophon tell us that they had years worth of food inside the city. And Babylon had the river Euphrates that was actually flowing through it, so there was plenty of water. So Belshazzar may well have thought, okay, you all just sit out there in the desert and surround us, but you're not going to get inside these walls. That's not going to happen. And what's interesting is Herodotus and Xenophon, they're both Greek historians, they both say on the night Babylon fell, there was a huge feast going on. They were partying inside the walls as their demise struck. So the same record that we have in Daniel. But in the midst of this feast, Belshazzar does something. And he commits a terrible blasphemy. We're told he calls for the articles that had been brought from the temple. And he wants to use them as just cups to drink wine out of. Now this is interesting. The only other time we've heard about these temple articles was all the way back when we were told that Nebuchadnezzar had brought Daniel and all the guys in exile and we're told in Daniel 1-2 and he also brought some articles out of the temple. They've been forgotten all the way until this night. And Belshazzar says, hey, you remember those articles we got out of Jerusalem from that temple? I want you to bring them out. We're going to have a party and we're going to drink out of them. Now the, the crazy thing is, this is considered a great sacrilege and it's not just a sacrilege because well we believe in the god of israel it was considered a sacrilege with any god's items you didn't do this this was thumbing your nose at the gods and if you're being surrounded by armies you're not you're not in the place to tick off any gods is kind of the way they viewed it so it would have been viewed as sacrilege for any god of course we recognize it's particularly sacrilege because it's the one true god and a lot of scholars look at this and say the only way to account for this is the wine's flowing so freely this has turned into a drunken possibly even orgy that's going on he's lost his senses to try and actually bring these things out because you would store the temples from the, the articles from the temples of other gods but you did not blaspheme them this way but Belshazzar has done this. And he even does it. He not only brings them out and drinks out of them, but we're told uh, by the author of Daniel that he actually uses it for pagan worship. Now, Belshazzar, his name means Bel, who's the god of Babylon, one of the chief gods of Babylon. Bel, protect the king. Kind of ironic because he's going to be dead by the end of the chapter. But he's crying out for bell to protect him and in fact he may be trying to win back the favor of the babylonian gods because remember i told you his father has been gone most of his reign well one of the reasons is because Nabonidus, his father was a worshiper of the moon god which was not a traditional god of babylon and apparently he ticked off all the priests and the wise men and the astrologers and all the key people in babylon because he wasn't worshiping the deities they thought he ought to be worshiping so he just left and went to another city which kind of gave a lot of homage to this moon god so belshazzar may say you know what we're in a little bit of trouble here because we haven't been paying our deities uh worship the way we ought so you know what the first people that nebuchadnezzar brought back when he came in charge were these jews why don't we bring out the stuff from their god and we're going to show our gods that we know our gods are stronger than their god just like you crushed the god of the jews we're trusting you to cut, crush the god of the Medes, and the Persians. And so he uses the temple articles in pagan worship, is what he does. And notice, I also would remind you, the the description of the idols is interesting. Notice it does say that they are wood and stone, but it also says they are gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Does anybody remember those four metals being used in the vision? The four kingdoms are gold, silver, bronze, and iron. And they've been told, your gold, the Babylon, your days are going away. This again may be an attempt to say, no, 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 we don't accept that our kingdom's going to end. But this is what Belshazzar is doing. And then suddenly, there's this writing on the wall. This hand appears, and it writes on the wall. And we're not told what it is, we're going to come to that later, but What we are told is that it not only suddenly happens, but Belshazzar is terrified. And I love the phrase that literally his face turns pale and says his knees knock, and then it actually says that uh, his legs gave way. In the Aramaic, that literally means his joints became loose. It may be a euphemism saying he wet his robes. It's kind of the picture. He's being bold until the divine messenger comes, and then he wets his robes right there in front of everyone. The picture is this guy is terrified. He's terrified at what is happening here. And so what happens is, and it literally is he shouts and screams. He's up front. He's starting to shout like a maniac and screaming, I want the wise men, I want the enchanters, I want the astrologers, I want them brought here so they can read and interpret. And he makes this, promise. He says, look, if you do this, you're going to get this gold chain around your neck, you're going to get a purple robe, which is the color of royalty, and you're going to be the third in the kingdom. Interesting, not second, third, because he can't promise second. I'll talk about that again if you tune into After Hours, because this is a, let me just say, this is a key issue. People use this story to say, aha, the Bible is wrong, until they got mud all over their face, because then we uncovered more historical evidence that said, aha, actually, the Bible was absolutely correct. And all of you were wrong all these times. And this is one of the clues why third in the kingdom. He can't give second. But he makes this promise. But if you've been reading Daniel to this point, what do you expect to be the outcome of the wise men and astrologers trying to help interpret something? Failure. I mean, I mean, they're they're consistent, at least. They're batting zero. So once again, they come in. And they look, and they they cannot read it. Now, probably what's going on, the idea is not that they don't know what the letters are, because the the, the phrase is clearly written in Aramaic. But the way Aramaic and Hebrew are written, it's written uh, it with only the consonants. There are no vowels, and they oftentimes wrote them with no spaces. So it's kind of hard to read, because... What vowels you put in determines, is it noun, is it a verb? In fact, which word is it? Sometimes it means a different thing. And where do you break it up? And if you don't have any understanding of what's being communicated at all, you just sit there and you look and there's this long string of letters and they're like, well, we can read the letters, but we have no idea what the words are nor what it means. But the key thing is, again, they can't do it. This makes Belshazzar even more terrified. Then suddenly, entering from stage left, is a woman who's identified as the queen. Now, what's interesting is the queen is clearly not uh, Belshazzar's wife because we've already been told that his wives are all in the hall with him and all of his concubines. The queen here is probably the queen mother. This is actually his mother who is not there. And what's really interesting is she, of course, is going to say, hey, look, 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 stop. You've wet your robes. (laughs) Calm down. There's a guy who can solve this. And interestingly, she doesn't call him Belteshazzar, his Babylonian name. She says there's a guy named Daniel. And Daniel served your father Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm telling you, the, the spirit of the holy gods is in this guy. I've seen this happen before. Okay, I've seen it happen before. He's able to interpret it. If you call him in here, he will do this. And by the way, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, he kept exalting this guy. He put him over everything because he's been down this road before. We've already seen before the wise men fail, but this guy will do it. So Nebuchadnezzar was smart enough to keep him there in the first place because apparently this is a little bit of a smack at Belshazzar that it looks like Daniel's just been shunted off to the side. When Belshazzar comes up, his father Nebuchadnezzar's aides, which literally probably his grandfather, because what it appears is his mother, who's married to Nabonidus, his father is actually Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. She's watched all of this stuff happen, and there's reasons from historical sources that they think that's who this is. But what she's saying is, is look, You were young and foolish and sent this guy away. You should have kept him here. Because Daniel will tell you what it means. So, we're not surprised because we've been here multiple times before. All the wise men have failed. They go off and they call for Daniel. But here's what's different. This time, Daniel's going to come in and read the message. It's not going to be a good message, which has been true several times before. But this time, I want you to notice a difference in the way of the relationship between Daniel and Belshazzar and Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar notice beginning Belshazzar is rude in his greeting to Daniel now he's just been the queen mother has given all of these outstanding things about Daniel but notice how he responds Daniel's brought before the king and he says are you Daniel one of the exiles my father brought from Judah now notice The queen mother didn't say anything about him being an exile. She just said he was extremely smart. The spirit of the holy gods was in him, and he can read it. Suddenly, Belshazzar needs to point out, oh, you're an exile. You you were brought here because we conquered you all, and you're brought in here. Secondly, notice Belshazzar doesn't say the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Just I've heard the spirit of the gods are in you in every way. He's just subtly trying to put Daniel in his place. And then he he asks. he says, so, you know, can you interpret this? And if you do, I'll give you all of this stuff. Then notice Daniel's response back. Daniel, throughout the book, and I mentioned this several times, is always towards Nebuchadnezzar, followed all the court protocol. Oh, king, live forever. He's always been very nice. Notice how he responds to Belshazzar. No, O king live forever, even which the queen mother had done. He just says, you can keep your gifts. It's pretty clear, Belshazzar doesn't think much of Daniel, and the feeling is mutual. Daniel doesn't think much of Belshazzar either. So he says, you can keep your gifts and rewards. And I think two things are going on. Number one, you can't bribe me. I'm going to tell you what it means, and you're not going to like it. And you're not going to bribe your way out as, "I, I don't need your gifts. Number two, I already know your gifts are worthless because your reign's about to come to an end. So making me third in the kingdom, what kingdom? It's third in something that's about to fall. So it makes no difference to me. And then what he does is before he even reads the message, Daniel puts on the mantle of a prophet. And he starts speaking the word of god to belshazzar and what he does is he recounts daniel chapter four i won't put all the verses up on the screen we read them but he recounts daniel chapter four the story there of nebuchadnezzar and he reminds him that nebuchadnezzar had accomplished a lot he goes through all the nebuchadnezzar had power and glory and people all over feared him. And if he wanted to put somebody to death, he did it. He was a man of action. He was a man of power. He was a man of weight and consequence. Your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar did stuff. And when he got arrogant because he had done stuff, he got put in his place. Now read between the lines. Nebuchadnezzar did stuff and got arrogant, got put in his place You haven't done anything, Belshazzar. You haven't done anything of consequence. We know from other sources, you probably had a man assassinated to get your father the throne. During your rule of several years, Babylon has now come under attack from the Medo-Persian Empire. We also know from secular sources, one of our regional governors, you betrayed, broke a deal, had his son murdered, And he now sided with Cyrus the Persian and oh yeah, he's leading the army outside the gate right now, Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar at least did something of consequence and he still got humbled when he got arrogant. You are famous for being famous. You've done nothing of consequence and yet you are arrogant. In fact, you are so arrogant. Notice how he rebukes him directly in verses 22 and 23. And he says, you knew all of this. And we know, again, from outside sources, Belshazzar is one of the highest-ranking nobles in Babylon within two years of Nebuchadnezzar's death. Which means you heard the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody around here knew it. You knew all of this, and yet you refused to humble yourself. Instead, what you did was you poked your finger in the eye of the very God who had done all of this. And then you went, and Nebuchadnezzar, your grandfather, a man of weight and consequence, never dared to touch the temple articles and use them in pagan worship. You didn't fear to do it. You pulled them out. You worshipped these idols. You used these things for temporal purposes, thinking you could get away with it. And now God's calling your bluff. So now, Belshazzar, I will read the message. And he reads it, and it turns out that as Daniel reads it, there are three words, each of which have three consonants. And that's very typical. Most Aramaic and Hebrew words have three consonants in them. And again, they don't normally write the vowels. Now, in my Hebrew Bibles in my office, I pull them out, we've put the vowels in, but we were even taught in seminary the vowels aren't technically part of Scripture, only the consonants are Scripture. The vowels are what we've added in later, okay, so that we can possibly read it, because trying to read it, I don't know how they do that without the vowels, but they do. But Daniel looks at it and says there's three words of three consonants, but what's interesting is When he reads the words, he reads them as nouns. When he interprets the words, he interprets them as verbs. And each of the words are also weights and measures of money. So there's three words of three consonants, and they've got three levels of meaning going on in the way Daniel's interpreting them. No wonder the guys from Babylon, I mean, it's like, hey, call the wise men back in. I'm sorry for dissing you. This is pretty complicated here. But here's what Daniel says. Ultimately, the message is really simple. Mene, which was, again, a form of money, uh, but it means your days are numbered and they are at an end. It's over for you, Belshazzar. And that one's repeated twice, by the way, which is usually when God says something twice, it means he's really serious, sometimes good. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm going to call you to be my apostle. In this case, uh, numbered, numbered is bad news. It's over for you. Second, tekel, you have been weighed and found wanting. It's also interesting, when this is happening, the Babylonians followed the astrological symbols. This is Libra, the one with the scales. Well, Belshazzar, you're worshiping all this. God put you on the scales not money. And you know what he found? You're nothing. You're nothing. There's nothing to you, Belshazzar. Parson, which he then refers to as Perez, which is your kingdom is divided, because it meant half. And it's divided, and it means the Medes and Persians are coming in, and they are taking over your kingdom. Now, again, the whole chapter's been timeless until right now. Daniel delivers the message. We're told the king puts the stuff on him. You can almost picture Daniel with a disgusted look. Like, what difference does any of this make? Did you not hear what I just told you? You're proving how worthless you are. And what Herodotus and Xenophon tell us is unknown to the Babylonians because the man that Belshazzar had betrayed is now the general of Cyrus's army. He said, you know, if you go out and you dam up the Euphrates and you divert it, we can walk right under the wall. And they did. And they walked right into the palace and they killed Belshazzar on the spot. Interestingly enough, his father Nabonidus was allowed to live. He had fled. But when they captured him, they allowed him to go into exile and live. And so, with this, this ends Babylon the Great. And it never rises again. It's gone forever. It's nothing but ruins out in the desert in Iraq. The head of gold is gone. The chest and arms of silver have arrived. Now, what does this mean for us as God's people? Because this is, you know, not just a history lesson. uh, Because here's the reality. You gasped a little bit when Iron Maiden sent out their thing. Every one of us are invited to Belshazzar's feast. We're also invited to another feast. What does the word of God say to us? Let me give three things. Number one, the word of God is true. God's word is true. I'm telling you, this very chapter was used as a hammer to say it's got all this mess about Belshazzar. There is no Belshazzar. We have no record of him. Herodotus and Xenophon, who wrote all of this stuff about what went on, don't mention Belshazzar because he was forgotten. Within a hundred years, nobody remembered the guy's name until we started digging up the official Babylonian records on cylinders and then his name's all over the place. So supposedly, Daniel, who had written much, much later and created a person that didn't exist, we now discover he couldn't have written later because nobody even remembered this guy, Belshazzar. But Daniel knew who he was because Daniel was writing it as current history, not something written after the fact. The word of God is true. Every man may lie, God's word stands firm forever. And it's imperative for you and I to understand this. Because, see, it's not only what's going on. You know why Daniel also knows what's going on? Because the man who is coming to Babylon is Cyrus. And 200 years before, Isaiah the prophet had said, I will send my anointed Cyrus. I'm calling him out of the east, and he is going to come. And he's going to send my people back home. And so Daniel looks and says, I don't even need to see the message. I know what's going on. Cyrus has been called. Cyrus is here. Head of gold is done. The Medes and the Persians are here. You can go back and look at Isaiah 44 and 45 and read about it. You can also in those chapters read about Yahweh taunting the idols. All these foolish idols that Belshazzar has turned to. Friends, read, learn, trust. The word of God this culture and every other culture remember where are we live in Babylon. Babylon everywhere you are is Babylon and Babylon will always tell you Babylon always is Babylon always was Babylon always will be trust us do not Babylon rises Babylon falls the word of God stands forever always it is true it is what you and I need to bank on. That's why Daniel stood. As we're going to see here, Babylon has arisen and fallen, and Daniel's still standing there. It's kind of like, you remember, in Whiteley e. Coyote, you know, and he would saw the thing off, and the whole regular lamb would fall away, and somehow Roadrunner's standing. That's what it is with Daniel. The whole world has fallen away, and Daniel's still standing there, an 80-year-old guy, because he trusted in the Word of God. You'll never go wrong trusting God's word. And again, I, I encourage you, if you, if you tune in on, on Tuesday, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that just in the brief after hours video. Secondly, I want to remind you the kingdoms of this world are passing away. Nobody thought Babylon was going to pass away. It was the greatest empire anybody had known. But nobody thought Egypt was going to pass away before it. Nobody thought Assyria was going to pass away before it. There is always a temptation to trust in and to count too much on the kingdoms of the world. To the exiles, it seemed like Babylon would reign forever. People were carried away. People were born, lived, and died in the exile. And it seemed like Babylon was eternal. And in one night, it's gone. Because kingdoms are not forever. The kingdoms of this world are passing away like mist in the morning. I I wanna remind you, I love our country. Okay, 17 years old, came over here to the academy, served in the Marine Corps. Americans act like America will last forever read history Babylon didn't Medo Persia didn't Greece didn't Rome didn't I got news for you if Jesus tarries there's no promise America lasts forever there is a promise that the kingdom of God will last forever I don't know what countries will be here when Jesus returns. I know this, the kingdom of God will be here when Jesus returns, because that kingdom will never, ever fade. And I also want to remind you, as a sideline, when I was thinking about this, I'm reminded C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory mentioned the fact that he said, look, civilizations rise and fall. They're like dust in the wind. But the person you play with that you sit next to at work, that person is actually eternal. Not the kingdoms, not the things we get caught up in. It's the people you and I are around. They are going to live forever. And in Lewis's words, because they will either be glorified or sent away from the Father, they will ever be an ever they will either be an everlasting splendor or an everlasting horror you and I could not even imagine. It is not the kingdoms of this world that last. It is the kingdom of God. And it's the people who are created in his image. Friends, we need to be about the kingdom business because all of this other stuff is going to fade. So I urge you, as I said, trust in the word of God. Do not put your trust in the kingdoms of this world. They are passing away. They always seem like they're going to last, but they don't. Every one of them fades. Seek first God and his kingdom, and everything else is thrown in. Always seek the kingdom. This chapter can preach. Second, and thirdly, the banquet table. We're going to be coming to the Lord's table. Belshazzar, on the night of his destruction, had a banquet, and he invited people, and they were weighed, and they were found wanting, and it was a feast of death. Jesus has also prepared a banquet, and he invites you and I to come, and here's the good news. If you're weighed, you're going to be found wanting. And so am I. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ was weighed in the balance. And he was found not wanting, but gloriously overcoming, being a full consequence. And we have a right to this feast, not because I'm a noble in the kingdom, not because the president would not invite me to eat at the White House, but Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, invites me to come and eat at his table. And I am found worthy, not because of anything I have done, but because of what he has done. And so Jesus' banquet is for us, and it is for those who are often despised in Babylon. The only people of Belshazzar's feast were the people of that, that were thought to be something in that culture. The people that they counted as something. The people on the outside, like Daniel, they were despised by Belshazzar, but Daniel was esteemed by God. And the people who were invited to this table may be despised by Babylon, but if we humble ourselves and we confess our sins, we are exalted by God and given a place table but you can't you can't come to the table exalting yourself you come to the table humbly confessing your sin and i come to the table humbly confessing my sin and so what we're going to do is we're going to come to the lord's table but we're going to begin this morning by doing the first part of psalm 32 together Because we're not coming to Belshazzar's table, we're coming to the Lord's table. And in coming to the Lord's table, we're going to recognize our sin and we're going to humble ourselves. Because, again, the amazing thing is chapter 5 jumps right off because the message of chapter 5 is the last verse of chapter 4. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled because God is able to do that. But he is able to lift up those who humble themselves. So, friends, let's stand together. We are going to humble ourselves by confessing. And this is again coming out of Psalm 32. Does anybody remember when did David write Psalm 32? What what had he done before this? Psalm Bathsheba. Psalm 51 is a psalm of confession, and then Psalm 32 is when he's received absolution from God whoever you are whatever you've done if you come confessing your sins trusting in the righteousness of Christ alone hear the blessing of forgiveness and pardon so let's pray this together blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble And surround me with songs of deliverance. Brothers and sisters, be seated. Hear Jesus' words of invitation to all who pray that prayer of confession and faith. I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And then the angel said to me, write. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus Christ, come to the table prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For what I received from the Lord Jesus, I pass on to you. But the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. and He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And it's poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from it, all of you in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you that we are invited not to Belshazzar's feast of arrogance and death, but to this feast, based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ which is given to us and received by faith alone. Go ahead and open up to have the bread ready in the little packet. Father, in the beginning, you created us in your image and you provided all things for us to richly enjoy including the fruit of every tree in the garden with the exception of the fruit of the one tree. But our father, Adam, rejected your gracious provision, preferring a banquet of his own making to the one freely provided by you. And in that act, he was plunged into sin and brought death upon all creation. We confess that we have often followed Adam, preferring the poisonous fare of sin to the life-giving feast offered by you. But today, in taking this bread, we turn from Belshazzar's empty feast of pride and humbly receive the bread of heaven to nourish us, body and soul. Brothers and sisters, take the body of Christ. Lord Jesus, you have given wine to gladden the heart of man, refreshing us and filling us with joy as we journey through this life. But like Belshazzar, we have misused your gracious gifts, and brought just condemnation on ourselves but in Jesus Christ you have forgiven our sins cleansing us by his blood of the covenant and keeping us until we eat and drink at the great banquet the wedding supper of the lamb so we take this cup now in faith as a sign of your covenant with us and we look forward to the day when we will drink the cup from your very hand. Brothers and sisters, take the cup of life. Let's stand together and we will conclude with a prayer, crying out for the Holy Spirit to come upon us, and then the word of blessing and benediction. So please join with me. Holy Spirit, the powers of this world constantly invite us To their empty banquets. Each day they attempt to seduce our souls with promises they can never fulfill. O Spirit of God, dull our taste for sin and renew in us a taste for holiness. Spirit of the living God, Anoint our eyes and give us eyes to see through these empty pretensions and promises of this world and fix our hearts and minds on the true rewards which only come in the kingdom of God. Empower us to stand firm through this passing age until we stand before our God in the true eternal kingdom. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, the true and faithful servant of the living God. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, may the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, may he bless you to overflowing so that you may be a blessing in the land of your exile until you give him glory and honor in the eternal kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, go forth blessed and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.